Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to, to bat, Brett Boone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Steve Finley. Finn, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, Boone. My pleasure, always. How many hits do you think you took away from? Now, uh, let me tell the listeners out there. Let me preface the story a little bit. Every time it seemed like I'd come to town, you know, we'd, we'd run into each other during BP or whatever on the field. I said, listen, stay away. For, and it seemed like every series I'm looking at you and you're just giving me that look like, I don't know, Booney. It just don't hit it there and I won't catch it. Right. You were a great center. <laughs> you were a great center fielder. But it just so happened that I'd hit balls right in a spot against you where you had a chance to make a great play. I mean, it seemed like every time I'm like, the freaking Finley, he's always there. And it seemed like we we're when I'd always come to San Diego, how many how many hits you take away from me? Did you notice that you took away more from me or was it just because I was always talking about it? Just because you were always talking about it. I was like, well, if he's going to talk about it, then I'm just not going to let him have any if I can help. <laughs> Plus, you took away your fair share for me, so I was kind of like a tit-for-tat kind of guy. If a guy made a great play on me out in the field, I wasn't going to let him have anything, anything. Barry Larkin and I used to go back and forth all the time. He'd get so mad at me, and I'm like, well, look where you stand right up the middle and take away all my hits up the middle. I'm not giving you anything in that right center gap. So it's uh, I prided myself on my defense, and you know, I knew if I wasn't hitting – I better be able to catch the ball. So, uh, you know, my pitchers wanted to have me out there. My teammates wanted to have me out there, even if I couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with a baseball bat. Isn't it a cool thing? I love, I mean, we all love to hit, uh, you know, it's sexy. It's the cool thing. Of course we want to go deep. Uh, I mean, there's not too many things better than that, but for us that played a especially defensive position up the middle, you being a center fielder, I play, you know, I played second base, obviously you're right. It, because we're not always going to hit. We're always going to have those rough weeks. Shit. A couple mid nineties. I had a couple rough years at the plate. I remember my hitting coach saying, Booney, don't lose that leather. And it kind of, it gives you a little bit of solace. You know, it's like, I'm not going to hit, especially as you get more experience in this game, we're not always going to hit. And it, and it's like, you know, I can put my glove on and I can, I can take something away from somebody else. I can turn a big double play. Maybe helps my team win that game so I can sleep tonight. And and uh, it really was. It was a big part of my life that I took a lot of pride in. And and obviously you did as well. Yeah, well, you know, I, I when I work with any minor leaguers, that's what I one of the first things I tell them. I go, you know, hitting is great. Just like you said, it's great, but it's gonna be there's gonna be an ebb and flow to your hitting. I said, but that glove, that leather on your hands. If that's suspect and you're hitting a suspect, you're going to be getting a lot of splinters in your rear end because you're going to be sitting right next to that manager over there trying to figure out how you're going to get in the game. And he's going to try to be trying to figure out how he's going to get you in the game because he doesn't trust either one right now. So, But if that leather is great, you get, like to your point, you get to work your way through slumps, whether it be a week, a month, a year, whatever. That manager can't afford to take you out of the lineup because you mean so much on the other side of the other side of the field, which is the defensive side. Uh, and you get to work your way through it and, and eventually come out of it. Yeah, without a doubt. I've had some some great center fielders on on the program. I was fortunate enough to uh, to play with some great ones. You know, I played with Andrew for a year, Tory Hunter, uh, Griffey when I was a kid. I played with Mike Cameron in Seattle. What is the most important thing 
play in center field that the great ones do that you notice the most? Uh, you know, it's, it's, and you know, this it's preparation. Um, you know, you do all your drills, you do all your training in the off. I mean, it really, it starts. If you really want to back it up, it starts in the off season, it starts with your training, it starts with speed work, getting a jump. So you're quick off your feet. Um, and then once you get to the spring training, then it starts to be preparation. I mean, we play everybody so many times. So you start to get to learn tendencies of hitters where they like to hit the ball with a when they're ahead in the count, when they're behind the count, when there's a guy in scoring position, game on the line, you start seeing that, but you also study that. We get all these reports about, you know, the spray charts where guys hit the ball. So there's a lot of studying that goes on both in video, your mind, and on paper. I know that I did, and I know a lot of the, the other really good center fielders did the same thing. You have to be prepared for that game. Then I'd go to then for me personally, I would go to the pitcher and the pitcher, the pitching coach that were pitching that night. And, you know, because I can see the spray chart of how these guys hit him. Are you going to change anything off your game plan on these guys? You know, who's who's hot? Who's who you're going to go after? Who you're not? And if you change anything during the game, let me know in center field. So, you know, and, and, you know, most of the time the game plan worked out, but every now and then you'd have to make adjustments on that and then maybe take away a hit that would have fallen in that maybe changes the outcome of the game. So if you can do that 15 or 20 times a year, you've just saved, that's a lot of games you can help win. So, you know, it's kind of a long winded answer, but I think there's, there's, there's a lot of preparation that people don't see uh, that goes into the defensive side of the game that can, can be easily overlooked. Or if you're just a little lazy, you forget to do it and you find yourself in a wrong spot or you don't know how to make the adjustment during the game. Uh, and, and, and as I said, adjustment during the game, I see a lot nowadays of guys just pulling the little thing out of their back pocket and looking, where am I supposed to play? And that's where they play. And they don't make as many adjustments on the fly. I think uh, the, the, as you, as we used to see in the game, I mean, guys were moving all over the place uh, as you're watching the hitters, how they approach a pitcher during that at bat, all of a sudden seeing they're late a little bit. Hey, let's slide over a little bit. I don't see that as much nowadays, uh, and and I'm not sure why. Well, I think yeah, our generation it, it was a feel thing. We knew we, we did we made the adjustments with our eyes, with experience. Obviously, that the more games we play against teams and hitters uh there are tendencies who's on the mound today is he hitting his spots is he not hitting his spots how much can i trust this fastball away it'll help me you know is it an off-speed pitch uh is it a heater all these things go into how we defend but we were brought up where our experience and our through trial and error that's how would we would defend people and you're right it puzzles me too in today's game because it is, there is so much out there and, and I'm not, uh, you know, this topic comes up all the time, obviously in today's game, I'm not bashing, uh, the cue cards, let's call them that they pull out of their back pocket, but it blows my mind. Could you imagine Finn playing center field and, and having a cue card? Oh, I got to go stand over here. But then I think about it. That's how these players are brought up today. They're brought up with, Hey, the data says this. So instead of, learning the way we learn through trial and error, it's no, I checked the cue card. And that's just a different generation. One day we'll all look at this and say, you know, was this, was this a better way to do it? Or, or was the other way a better way to do it? Time will tell, but I think it's, it's just the culture and how these young players are brought up today. I a hundred percent agree. And I honestly, I don't have a problem with the cue card because it's just like looking at the books that we looked at with all the spray charts. It's a suggestion. And- 
It's a suggestion. Thank there you. you. That's, that's, it's a suggestion of where to play. Where I have more of a problem is, is, is you know, the sabermetrics guy don't want them to make adjustments a lot of time because they say this, this percentages are they're going to hit the ball right there. And so they want them just to stay there more times than not. And, and I think you're taking away the eyes of the player to see the game in a different light and, to your point, make adjustments on the fly. And, and I don't see that as much as I used to. And it, it, I think that's only going to hurt the game. I think the game uh, becomes less strategic in the fans' eyes. I used to go to games uh, after I was done playing, and people liked to sit with me because they were like, oh, baseball's this and that. I'm like, okay, watch this guy. Watch this guy on every pitcher, how he's moving around. And now fast forward to the last few years, I'm not seeing that as much anymore. It's more like, hey, go stand over here. If you don't catch a moving, you know, when the batter changes, you're not going to see a whole lot of movement out there. And I think that it, it leads to a, a, a more boring game. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely different to say to say the least of what we were brought up doing. And yeah, I, I don't get it. But then again, they were brought up that way. And that's and yes. maybe that's why, you know, a few years ago, you still had kind of the last of the old guard that didn't come up with the with the cards and the data. Uh, it was it was they they were they were the tail end of the guys we played with. So now this new generation, they've all been brought up. So the minor leagues, they probably started having these have the, have these cards in their back pocket. And it's just the way they've it's it's all they ever knew. So it's not a it's not a knock on them. It's just the the kind of the way it is. I think eventually as time moves on and, and you get through this, I think people are going to realize, yeah, the data is very, very uh, advantageous to use. But you also got to use that that instinct that that great athlete has that great center fielder, that great middle infielder has, you got to give him a little leeway on, okay, in this situation, I'm seeing the way the, the flow of the game's going. I know the pitch that's coming. I know the tendency. I know this hitter. I, I think you're going to start to see that shift back as time goes on. Well, I, and, and that's where I think you'll see your elite defenders stand out over everybody else. You know, that, 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 that curve could be blurred a little more if everybody was just looking at the cards and that's all they ever did. But I think you're right. The elite defenders, I think will separate themselves even more uh, when they're using the eyes along with the cue cards. And and I have no problem with the cue cards either. And the game is played uh, in each generation. I mean, we could complain about things from guys before us and then the guys after us complain about stuff that we did. Uh, it's, it, it goes throughout. So, you know, I don't, I don't, want my words to be construed as complaining about the game nowadays it's just more frustrating uh you know and there you can't reinvent the entire wheel in baseball and i feel like that's kind of what's been tried to do a little bit here with the sabermetrics and the and the data that's put in the game is kind of the game's kind of driven by that data instead of the data telling you kind of what's happening and use that data to kind of help make yourself better going forward. It, it just seems like the data is everything now and, and, and the heart, the, the style of the player, some of that's kind of taken off the table that, that to me kind of made the game interesting before. Yeah. And I'm with you too. You know, I'm not from the school of, Oh, it's my way and our way was the best. No, I think without a doubt, you can always learn from the generation uh, that came before you, you know, watching my father's era, watching my grandfather's era. I didn't get to watch it, but I heard a lot about it. I learned a lot from them, 
but I think us as, as guys now kind of in the middle, you know, our, our, our playing days are over watching this young generation. There's a lot they can learn from us, but I think flip it around too. We can learn a lot from them. So I think that's the way the game should ebb and flow. Take from the new guys. Uh, wh- what are you doing differently, man? That's a good idea. I wish I would have had that, that idea when I was playing at the same time. I, I think, I think you can learn from one another. A hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. You know, and, and I think, You'll not find any player from any generation that would would argue anything else other than all they like to see is great, exciting baseball, you know. And I think, you know, the only gripe, this is my only really real, real gripe about the game nowadays. It just seems like they've devalued putting balls in play and um, uh, using the term like I was told not to use this term by an organization situational hitting to any of the hitters. I'm like, but every time we go to the plate, it's situational hitting. And it really struck me as like, wow, okay. Uh, all they, they didn't want the guys to think about that. I'm like, well, that's, that's kind of baseball. Every time you go up there, there's either, you got to move a guy over, you got to hit behind a runner. You're trying to get a guy in from third base, whatever you're doing, it's always a situation. Um, and I think the game, it, it seems like, you know, you hear the 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 numbers. It's it's either a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. Uh, you know, averages overall have gone down. I think part of that is because pitching. You know, you have relievers throwing a hundred now, and be starting in the fifth inning. Uh, you're facing maybe a different pitcher every at bat. Some of that can be attributed to just that alone. Uh, but I think don't think you see the adjustments. You know, the 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 launch angle. Everybody talking about the launch angle. Um, you know, I, I I think you've gotten away from from contact baseball that that kind of made for an exciting baseball game where you're moving runners, hitting runs, and guys on the bases more. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, I thought about this a lot. Like why? Okay. Why is this shift? And why do people hit into the shift? I think just what you said, the, the, the launch angles, uh, the way they train, the way they develop their swing nowadays. It's almost like how golfers work on their swing. It's almost robotic. So it becomes more predictable, if that makes sense. I mean, you go back to the great hitters of yesteryear, uh, you know, Rod, Rod Carew to go way back, but more recently a Tony Gwynn. You're not going to be able to put a shift on Tony Gwynn. He's going to laugh at you, you know, (laughs) but, but I think that's how he came up in our generation. It was get in a good position to hit good, a good pitch out over the plate and knock the shit out of it. It wasn't, yeah. oh, make sure we're on this play. And and I laugh too. You know, a lot of the things, you know, I'm learning a lot about today's game. I've got a, a son that's that's playing in the minor leagues and, and it's I'm I'm always learning. But I laugh when you mention average is is not really uh held at such a high level as it used to be. And I laugh and I said, Let me tell you this about somebody that hits three hundred. In the ninth inning with the game on the line, when you need a base hit, that guy that hits 220 with a with a 340 on base percentage because he walks a lot. First of all, late in the game, the closers, uh, the elite closers of the game, they don't walk you. 
So the, throw the walk out the door. Now, who do you want in the batter's box? The guy that hits 300, the guy that hits 220. The guy that hits 220 is essentially has no chance against an elite closer for the most part, percentage wise. The guy that hits 300, I want him at the plate. So when they say, oh, 300 isn't really a measuring stick anymore. Well, I'll tell you what, maybe because it's not, it's even more of a measuring stick of greatness today than, it, than it's ever been. Uh, agreed agreed it's so hard to hit nowadays you know and and when when i hear about people talk about launch angle you know uh, what what is a launch angle you know a launch angle is literally your bat is quick enough to reach towards the front of the hitting zone when your bat naturally starts coming up because it has to and you contact the ball there and you you hit it out. I mean, it goes up in the air, but it also goes up in the air when you're at extension more. So you're going to hit it further. You know, it just, it's a simple product of, of physics. I mean, if you draw a horizontal line from about the middle of your body out in front of your body, straight towards the pitcher, you know, Vladimir Guerrero had one of the longest hitting, we call it the hitting zone. You know, that term hitting zone, Vladimir Guerrero had one of the longest hitting zones you can imagine. I mean, it was probably like four or five feet out in front of him. He could contact the baseball because he kept his bat level in there. But what people understand is he got his bat from a hitting position where he was standing to the down. And I say down, down to the back of that hitting zone, which started about middle of his body. And he kept it level all the way out towards a pitcher way out in front of him. So he was able to contact the change up the slider the uh anything off speed and he was still hitting the fastball he was ready on the fastball but kept his hands in that hitting kept his bat in that hitting zone because it was flat in the hitting zone these guys that talk about launch angle now and they get these guys dropping their back shoulder their bat enters the hitting zone and exit the hitting zone and maybe a foot they have a foot a foot of hitting zone they have to hit it in and good luck in major league baseball good luck you need to keep that bat in the hitting zone as long as possible in order to contact the baseball and have more chances. And it's just frustrating seeing some of these guys that talk about launch angle that have no idea what they're talking about. And it's two, and it's not, you know, launch angle is it for everybody. You know, one guy to hit, hit the ball in the air, that's fine because that ball goes over the fence. For the other guy, it's a sacrifice fly and a non-sacrifice fly situation. So to me, to, to one way and, and to to really value the home run, I, I see a lot of players coming up, a lot of young players coming through the minor leagues where there's so much emphasis put on hitting a home run everybody's not built to hit home runs. You've played a long time. You saw a lot of players. You either have power or you don't. You can always expand and, and get the most out of what you've been God given, but you don't just turn a non-power guy into a home run hitter. It just doesn't happen. And I think today that the negative I have to say about that is there's so much emphasis being put on the home run that you've got guys that aren't home run hitters trying to hit home runs, and that makes them bad hitters. And, and I always try to emphasize good at bats, good at bats, consistent good at bats will give you as a hitter the best chance to hit the most home runs you're going to hit individually. But if you're thinking home run first, I got to hit home runs because that's what's important. I'll show you a bad hitter right there. Yeah, or max effort. They'll go this max effort. You know, one of the best hitting instructors I ever had was Merv Rutman uh, here in San Diego. And he was when Tony Gwynn was here. And he told me, Steve, you go up to the plate 600 times this year, and all you think about is putting a good swing on the baseball. 
He goes, any other situation besides a guy at second base when you're trying to really pull a ball, I don't want you to think about anything except putting a good swing on the baseball. And let's just see where your numbers are at the end of the year. I hit 298, scored 100 runs for the first time, uh, hit doubles, hit 11 home runs that year, which is the most home runs I'd hit in my career at that point. And triples, I mean, my production went way up. And all I thought about was putting a good swing on the baseball. It wasn't about home runs. It was about contacting the baseball solidly. And and uh, to your point, if more hitters just thought about that, the game one, I think, would be more exciting. And uh, you'd end up hitting more home runs. Yep, without a doubt. One more one more center field question for you. You mentioned Barry Larkin. He was a uh, teammate of mine for for six years. And uh, I had a great rapport with him. And, and the things we do in the middle infield are, are different than what you do. What I want you to tell tell the audience is, is what goes on in that outfield. Center fielder, you're the captain of that outfield. As a second baseman, you know, I would be giving – uh, signs to Barry. Barry would give signs to me who's covering the bag. If I had a first baseman that was interested, uh, I'd give him a little whistle right before the pitch was delivered, whether it was an off speed, whether it was a fastball. Uh, so we do little things like that in the infield. Take me through the outfield with your corner guys, just on, on, a, on a random team. Uh, how do you guys communicate? Well, uh, first and foremost, I was a, I was a director out there. The guy, whoever was on the say a hitter, a new hitter came up that we didn't see before pinch hitting. I'll just give you that example. Um, and in between every single pitch, in case there was something from the bench that the manager saw that maybe I didn't see or our outfield guy, I looked at him and I told him, don't wave your arms. because I don't want everybody in the ballpark or the other team to know that I might be moving somewhere out there. Just he'd have one hand on one side of the rail and another hand on the other. If he needed me to move, he'd just pick up that hand or I would, and I would just look at him. He knew I was looking at him. I'd put my glove up, nothing. Okay. But every hitter that came up, I would look at, we knew where we were playing. I would yell to my left fielder. uh, And if I was going to move towards right field, I would hold up that hand. I would tell him I'm going that way, move my hand that way with that hand. And then I would hold up my other hand, my non-glove hand with how many steps I'm going, one step or two. And then I would tell the right fielder the same thing. You're going to go that way, the same amount, move in. And then we would start shuffling on every pitch. After every pitch, depending on the count, I'd say, hey, I'm moving back over, pull him with me, push him back over in the left field side. So we're kind of moving as a unit out there. We never wanted to create a big gap anywhere. And that was every pitch, every pitch. That's what we that's what we were doing out there. There was never a moment where we were just sitting there just waiting for the hole of the bat to go by. Uh, and if there was no movements, I would just look at the guys. They would look at me, and we'd just stay right there. But there was always that eye, eye communication um, and communication when balls went up in the air. I mean, sometimes you'd have to let this guy know that, hey, if a ball's in this little section right here, the sun's on me, I need you to catch it. So there's always something to do. Where's the wind blowing? Is the ball going to get knocked down? Is it going to take off? Uh, so many things that, that, that I think I'm glad you asked that question because uh, a lot of people don't realize how much goes into it. They see it on the infield. They see you guys talking when there's somebody on base, like to your point, who's going to cover, who's not, uh, they think the outfield is just kind of boring. I'm like, no, it's not boring at all. There's a lot of stuff to do out there between every single pitch. No. And I think it's interesting to me, you know, playing, playing middle infield my whole life. Uh, the only, my only interaction with you is to tell you how many outs there are. And once in a while, 
avoid a collision on a on that in-between ball. And, and I'm just waiting for your voice so I can get out of the way. But you're right. It's interesting for me to, to hear that type of talk because really as infielders, we're caught up in ourselves. We don't worry about you guys. You got your own problems out there in the outfield. We got to decide how we're going to defend. We got to turn a big double play. I got to make sure I cheat here, but I can still get to the bag. Is my first baseman okay? You mentioned it, and that's a real interesting thing, too, is the sun ball. At certain ballparks, certain time of the day, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of Johnny Olerud. If he's playing first base uh, and I'm at second, I'll say, Johnny, how is the sun for you? Booney, I can't see anything here. So I know right then, all right, because Johnny was a great uh, first baseman. I could depend on him for anything defensive. But all of a sudden, some games, he's like, I really can't see. I know right there, okay, I've got to kind of go above and beyond now to take a ball that Johnny would normally take, make sure I'm there in case he really can't see it when it goes up. These are all the interesting, the cool things that aren't talked about all the time that that I even, as long as I played, I like hearing it because it's different for me. It's an outfield, outfield strategy. Yeah, it's the same, you know, it's the same thing, just a different way in the outfield and, and, uh, you know, I'd have uh, when a right-handed when a right-handed batter was up, I would tell the right fielder, "You have the inside route. I have the behind your route because the ball is going to be angling back to him off the bat, typically. So it's going to get to him quicker coming down towards him." Same thing with a left-handed batter to the left fielder, always reminding them every time one came up, he had the inside route, I had the behind route. You know, and and it, it, those are the things that help you win ball games that people don't see. And things you have to do if you want to win extra ball games. I always say that you don't realize how many extra ball games you can win by just being in the right spot, communicating during a full 162 game schedule. And I'm sure you're the same thing on the infield. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 